0: What are a significant number of African countries not supporting the need called for by NATO to sanction Russia? Why is a critical black group in the United States more focused on rejecting NATO than rejecting Russia? Were children in Kiev 15 years ago actually punished for speaking Russian? Are Ukrainians seeing the US as their salvation or just as bad as Putin? This week on the Global Research Hour, we take a look at Ukraine and the war being waged within it through two unlikely sources. In our first half hour, Ajamu Baraka of the Black Alliance for Peace just joins us to explain the stance of his group toward the nearly year-long fight within Ukraine's borders and toward NATO generally, revealing how it is consistent with anti-racist principles. Then in our second half hour, We are joined by a young Ukrainian woman who emigrated to Winnipeg 15 years ago and shares some of her thoughts about the country she left, the role of the United States and Russia, and the current conflict that is threatening her country of birth. On this week's program, the Ukraine conflict, two uncommon perspectives on the great tragedy. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of February 3rd, 2023. The program is funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. I'm your host, Michael Welch. The show seeks to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our shows are featured on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. We would like to acknowledge that this program was produced on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Ojikri, Dine, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. Settlers who succeed in securing access to the resources of the land and waters should respect the people who granted it to them through agreements, treaties, and recognizing the unfair way these agreements were disrespected and the fallout of colonial treatment of a people that resulted is a first step on the way towards dealing with each other as true partners in the country. First off, we would like to start our program with News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. Listeners should know that some of the articles may run against common messaging about sensitive subjects and are not all endorsed by this radio station. The Alliance has spent $978 billion over the period of 19 years without any evident success. During the same period, over 2 million people have died, most of them were civilians. Countless homes and life have been ruined, however, NATO countries didn't face any scrutiny for their actions. Moreover, NATO didn't provide refuge for most of these people or any sufficient help, and at the same time over 6 million people have left Ukraine to live in Europe with over $100 billion provided in aid. Why does Ukraine deserve such help and the Middle Eastern states deserve destroyed homes and their resources stolen by world's powerhouses. That comes from the article, The Hypocrisy of NATO Behind Ukraine and the Middle East, by Ahmad al-Khaled, posted February 1st. Ukraine and Taiwan are the two most prominent examples of America's strategy of, quote, accelerated escalation, unquote. Obviously designed to cause quote irrational decision making in both Moscow and Beijing, according to the Pentagon funded RAND Corporation. With Ukraine reaching a boiling point and Russia forced to intervene, Washington DC is determined to do the same with China in Taiwan. In recent years, top American officials, including several military commanders, have been warning about the, quote, inevitability of war with China, unquote. However, the latest statement is quite concerning, issued in the form of a memo by an active four-star general and circulated with an official order. This is particularly dangerous, especially when taking into account the fact that the general took the step of conveying it through the official chain of command. That comes from the article, Pentagon's prediction of inevitable conflict with China in 2025 shows war is America's primary export commodity. By Drago Bojnik, posted February 1st, originally published on Infobricks. Now, Seda is a neocon wannabe. In August 2019, before Russia's SMO, he refused to talk or enter negotiations with Vladimir Putin over the growing tension in the neighborhood. What could I be talking about with Mr. President Putin at this point, he said, according to the Baltic News Network. As long as we have the situation in Ukraine, as long as escalation of tensions continue in the entire region, I see no point in exchanging diplomatic pleasantries. And importantly, I haven't got the moral right to do so. There is nothing to celebrate. Tensions are felt throughout the region. Naseda demands all red lines be crossed behavior that will ultimately end in a nuclear conflagration. That comes from the article, Lithuanian President Demands Russia's Red Lines Be Violated, by Kurt Nemo, posted February 1st, originally published on the author's blog site, Kurt Nemo on Geopolitics. The notorious tanks are only a small part of all the military supplies that are continuously moving to Ukraine, but they become an important political reason for NATO to demonstrate its alleged cohesion and generosity. In Russia, they respectively responded to the upcoming arrival of German and American tanks on the Donbass front lines with their own media campaign many public and private figures announced generous rewards for captured and destroyed tanks. On January 29th, a famous Russian actor on behalf of some representatives of a large Russian business announced a prize of 10 million rubles for each Abrams destroyed. A couple of days ago, the Russian company Forez announced a reward of 5 million rubles for the first destroyed or captured American M1 Abrams or German Leopard 2. That comes from the article under the headline video, Hunt on Leopards Declared on Ukrainian Front Lines, posted February 1st, originally published on South Front. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. The war in Ukraine is into its 12th month. Observers say negotiations are almost certainly not going to happen. The US and NATO have upped the ante now by sending tanks into the mix with more bloodshed and inevitability. My next guest is a longtime activist and he, he brings a, new, a fresh new perspective on this violence. Ajamu Baraka is the national organizer of the Black Alliance for Peace and an editor and contributing columnist for the Black Agenda report. Baraka serves on the Executive Committee of the U.S. Peace Council and Leadership Body of the U.S.-based United National Anti-War Coalition and the Steering Committee of the Black is Back Coalition. He was the 2016 candidate for the Vice President of the United States on the Green Party ticket and was awarded the U.S. Peace Memorial 2019 Peace Prize and the uh, Serena Sh- Serena Shim award for uncompromising integrity in journalism he's written a number of commentaries in the last year condemning the war conflict in Ukraine which he too calls a proxy war against Russia what makes the point different is the description of the military conflict against Russia as linked with white supremacy and talks about the need to end NATO and bring imperialism and full spectrum dominance of the US-EU-NATO to an end. So uh, with that, uh, I want to welcome you. Thanks for joining us, uh, Ajahn mubarakats It's good to see you again.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Now, last month, uh, Tyree Nichols was pulled over for the horrendous crime, uh, apparently, of driving while black and and was beaten up and tasered and eventually died in the hands uh, of the police, uh, suggesting to some that none of the justice for George Floyd has endured long. Uh, Beyond that, there are lengthy prison sentences for black people out of proportion to their white counterparts in the population. There are poverty issues. and, And abroad, There's still concerns over the people of Haiti, as we documented on this program. There's the dominance of the U.S. military construct AFRICOM in Africa. So with all of these very important issues being raised, why is the war in Ukraine an issue that should concern black folks?
1: Well, that is a uh, I'm glad you opened up with that, that question and, in fact, making those links because. For those of us who are part of the black radical internationalist movement all of these issues are fundamentally linked they're linked to uh, not uh to things that are in people's heads uh, the the ideals of, of of white supremacy or racism but all of these elements are linked in terms of a structure of dominance a structure of what some of us refer to as as white power white power that emerged as a consequence of the ascendancy of of, of europe the creation of europe as a consequence of of both uh, uh, colonial conquest uh, and uh and the slave trade uh, that has perpetuated itself uh, for the last few centuries uh, and so for us you know we can't talk about uh, uh, Nichols in Memphis without talking about uh, Ukraine or connecting uh, uh, afrocom and Southcom and uh, the International Monetary uh, Fund and the World Bank uh, dollar uh, domination these are all connected to the uh, to the uh, pan-European colonial capitalist, white supremacist patriarchy that has um, that is the, the structure that that still represents for many of us the pri- primary global contradiction. So yes, for, for black folks, we said from the very beginning that um, the, the issue wasn't just Ukraine. We said to decenter Ukraine and refocus on the issues of imperialism. And that's been the perspective we have been pushing ever since.
0: Mm. So, I mean, you, you say in particular that NATO, the North Atlantic tra- Treaty Organization is a, a white supremacist organization. I mean, could you just you know, follow yes. up on that?
1: Uh, basically we have a, a formation that theoretically it, it was concerned with uh, bringing together uh, Europe, uh, Western European nations into a a military alliance uh, supposedly to offset the Warsaw Pact uh, coming from the Soviet Union, of course that uh, alliance has uh, survived the end of the so-called Cold War, and has been used as a major instrument on the part of Western capital, Western colonial capital, capital to uh, to assert um, a Western power in all parts of the world. We have uh, in Colombia a, a NATO global partner. Uh, we have the NATO alliance involved in all parts of Africa uh, and other parts of, of the world, including now this supposed to be in development, uh, closer ties between NATO and various forces in Asia. So NATO is an instrument of Western colonial power. And we, those of us who are Africans, we also remember quite clearly the role that NATO played in uh, providing support to the Portuguese colonialists and the wars of of anti colonial uh, 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 struggle on the African continent.
0: Yeah, well, you know, there, there is a political connection, uh, I, I suppose, with with indigenous people, and in, in that. Uh, uh, their plights are, are being heard, and 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 the role of, of the Eurocentric population is is understood, you know, domestically. Uh, there are corporate interests violating their land, uh, practicing colonialism, and so forth. But we typically don't connect their their plights at home with with the treatment of indigenous people abroad, uh, as I understand it, through through mining and and damming and other projects. I mean, do you do you see that? as the a point as well or, or is it may, maybe a, a a secret or, or sorry a, a unique angle to to your argument
1: i think it's, it is uh, i think those connections between the indigenous peoples who are involved in various fights uh in various parts of for example we just keep the focus on the so-called americas that those these links that, that suggests that you're not going to be able to uh to uh shift uh power Uh, among settler colonial projects like the Canadian project or the U.S. project or the continuation of of North America hegemony uh, in uh, Central or South America, uh, unless there is in fact unity among indigenous people uh, who clearly recognize that the colonial uh, project is one that transcends whatever specific national territory they may find themselves in. So in that case, not only is that analysis of the correct analysis in terms of its anti colonial character we say as african people that we are in fundamental uh, alignment with that position because we take a very similar position and so we are actively attempting to build more effective uh, political connections structures of cooperation with the indigenous because again for us the focus is on a on, on colonialism not just a uh, specific uh, national uh, issues that people might see as disconnected. Mm. Uh
0: yeah, you know, I mean the, the, some might think that I mean they'll, they'll recognize that, that that imperialism is is bad and uh but but they don't you know necessarily associate it with uh, like white white supremacy. I mean some might think uh it's about money, it's about oil, it's because of greed but but not so much about white supremacy. I mean, I'm sorry to keep pushing this, but I mean, uh, you know, politicians themselves speak out against white supremacy. Um, but, but how is that maybe expressing itself in, in a more fundamental way?
1: Well, you know, Michael, you're absolutely right that uh, many people disconnect notions of white supremacy from these other elements that you referred to. Precisely because the understanding of white supremacy is so is so crude, uh, many people uh, collapse white supremacy with 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 so called racism, and 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 it, and they 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 will uh, associate a certain kind of uh, stereotypical form of behavior. So, for example, a Donald Trump is a, a white supremacist, but a Joe Biden is not. Uh, we, we say again, white supremacy is connected to the expressions, the institutional expressions of white power. and that we're not reducing this to these 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 stereotypes. That uh, the cops that murdered that, that systematically beat uh, uh, Tyree Nichols in Memphis are, are people who have incorporated white supremacist uh, ideas who are protecting white power um and basically they are they are much uh, white supremacists as Barack Obama was uh and and Donald Trump so this is the these are the kind of connections that have to be made because until we begin to, to tease these things out and understand them better then we won't we will we'll continue to see movements manipulated uh and our uh, potential for unity undermined because we are, you have all this this nonsense about identity politics and, and people don't understanding the connection between class and race and nationality. There's a lot of confusion among the left that has not done the work to, to understand the complexities of, 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 of European imperialism, including uh, its, its ideological uh, foundation, which is uh, white supremacy. Uh, and therefore we're not able to build the kind of effective movement we have to build in order to eventually defeat white supremacist colonial capitalist uh, patriarchy. So yes, we have to keep on harping on it. It's something has to be has to be dealt with and struggle through. But some people think that even identifying this as an area of struggle is some kind of way divisive, as though the left is already already unified. We say that's that's nonsense. And it's avoiding the issues that have to be dealt with if we're serious about uh, about real uh, social transformation.
0: What about Russia in all of this? I mean, they, they are they are you know, executing violence uh, against um, in, in Ukraine? Uh, they, uh, I mean, as I understand it, it, it may not have been a, a a legal maneuver, and and you know they're majority white, but I mean, is there violence? different from the the, the US EU violence I mean you know, like or, or, or is is a, a, a contest between one uh, value one version of white supremacy and, and another version of white supremacy well what do you think about that
1: well uh, I think that for us we the, the historical context is what determines how we how we view these various uh, uh, events and issues but that for us, uh, the structure of of the world, the uh, the dominance of of Western European powers, Western European capital, uh, is the result of a of a concrete historical process. Uh, the conflict between uh, the West and Russia has its own kind of specifics. Uh, of course, there's violence involved in this, uh, but the we say that the violence of the colonial project um is is has been even more significant than what we see in terms of this war now between this proxy war between the west uh and and russia so it's not the issue of violence but it's an issue of context violence has been at the center of the of the colonial project the issue is whether or not uh this war in in, in ukraine whether or not that could have been avoided if 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 it wasn't the the, the agenda of Western European capital to, in fact, create the conditions that resulted in this conflict. And as you know, we've always always said you can't understand this conflict in Ukraine if you if your starting point is February 24th. That's just absolute nonsense. You have to look at the the evolution of this process. And we say that you can't reduce this just to some kind of assault on the part of the Russian Federation against uh, Ukraine.
0: Yeah, well, that, that brings to mind the, the issue of the media me- message, because that's a, a huge part of the, uh, the, the success on the part of the orchestrators of, of this uh, proxy war, um, you know, having changed the context so that, uh, yeah, it, it started on February, uh, the end of February, instead of, say, you know, February of 2014, with the, with the, uh, the, the coup uh, that, that took place there. Um, I mean, do you see any patterns in our media that 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 communicates the war message and, and particularly ways steeped in white supremacy?
1: I think that the is quite clear that because of the concentration of capital, uh, um, uh, media companies, um, uh, news outlets, uh, et cetera, that basically the, the political line has been quite clear it is to uh, to defend and to advance uh, uh, uh an interpretation that provides support uh for the um the continuation of this conflict this proxy war in ukraine uh it is a, a line that also has um uh, inadvertently um uh, uh, provided legitimacy uh to uh, to to white supremacy that by uh uh, demonstrating that the, the entire world sh- should be focused on the conflict in Eastern Europe uh, to the detriment of all of the other kinds of issues that the global humanity faces, and that the entire world should mobilize in support of the Western interpretation of events, uh, and that any deviation from that interpretation uh, will result in pressure from the West Again, it just helps to reaffirm the fact that uh, Western Europe is in charge and they don't see any deviation from their dominance by any of the non-European populations. That's why you have this uh, Russian malign uh, uh, act in, in the U.S. Congress being passed that uh, under, that undermine the ability of, of African governments on the uh, African continent to take positions that may not be in alignment with that of the U.S. and Western Europe, so the the media, uh, the ideological domination of of capital expressed through uh, through their their media, has been quite uh, quite uh, interesting to watch unfold, uh, and all of this is a, uh, just reaffirming for us that until we bring a perspective that helps us to understand this and understand that you know, we can't allow this to be to continue without being challenged then we'll continue to have what we say, for example, is the continuation of the White Lives Matter More movement co-coordinated by Zelensky and Ukraine and Joe Biden. That's exactly what's being pushed, that white lives, in fact, matter more than any other lives on this planet.
0: Yeah. You know, um In my conversation uh, with uh, Glenn Ford, uh, my last conversation with him, I think, uh, he mentioned that uh, Barack Obama became the first president to wage a war in which the black working class was more hawkish than the white one, like the the first time in history. I mean, I remember back in the the time of the Vietnam War, at least as, as far as I've heard, the very first protesters were black people, weren't they? So I, I'm wondering now. Now that uh, we're into the, the, I guess, the post Obama age, I mean, have are we seeing people of color sort of shifting back to to, to your position? Uh, you know that uh, that that, that the, the, these traditional patterns with regard to to Ukraine, Syria, or, or anything else, or are we still sort of stuck in that? Uh, I guess post Barack, or you know, that that period during Barack Obama's presidency. That uh, I mean, we, are we still stuck there? What do you think?
1: Well, Michael, that's exactly why we launched the Black Alliance of Peace, to try to reverse uh, the, uh, the progress, if you will. That is the progress on the part of the ruling class to completely transform the sector of the population that has always been the most consistently anti-war and anti-imperialist. And that, in fact, has been the Black uh, community and the Black working class in the U.S. And it's been a it's been a real struggle because, you know, the, there's been a flip now only in terms of black people, but also you look at the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party today um, is the the party of war and that that transformation that wasn't really a transformation in terms of its real uh, character. But the transformation of perception started under under Barack Obama and it started when Barack Obama went to receive his Nobel Peace Prize. And, and, and advanced an argument for just war, that this was the uh, the trajectory of the ruling class at that point. And all of the ideological and cultural uh, institutions fell in line in pushing this notion of US exceptionalism and the right of the US to use violence in order to advance its interests, mass as the interests of the world. So it's been a very tremendous struggle we have been engaged in. We're making some progress. Because the contradictions that have been exposed with this Ukrainian fiasco is uh, helping to shift some consciousness, especially now with the amounts of money that they have uh, generated to support war in Ukraine by simultaneously uh, undermining the ability of the state to address the human rights concerns uh, and, and, and and urgencies that people are facing within the US. But it's been a tremendous struggle, uh, Michael, because um, you know, the, the shift in consciousness has been quite pronounced.
0: Mm. Ojamu, it's uh, been great speaking with you again. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: We were speaking to Ajamu Baraka, a celebrated commentator and critic and or national organizer of the Black Alliance for Peace. Coming up in our next half hour, we talk to a young Winnipegger who nearly 15 years ago immigrated to Canada from Ukraine. She tells us some of her story and of the Ukraine she knew. Shortly, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW ninety-five point nine FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. Okay, hey, so this is Michael Welch for the Global Research News Hour. I've got a very special guest. Uh, she's Actually, uh, she was born in uh, Kharkiv, in, in Ukraine. Uh, so can you, uh, first of all, tell us your name?
2: Hi, everyone. My name is Ola. Okay. And, um, yeah. Okay. My last name, is, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> sorry, we can redo that. We can redo that. I'm sorry.
0: Okay. I was too nervous. For sure. That's okay. So um, when... Ex- you t- tell us a little bit about uh your, your background your your father was russian and your mother was uh you ukrainian and you had a uh, so you you have your your two parents uh your your they're separated now but uh, tell us a little bit about how your you know was your uh that marriage was it accepted where you were or was there a, a little bit of was it so commonplace, or was it, uh, you know,
2: frowned upon? Uh, it was common where I was, uh, but there was, um, it was very common where I was to speak Russian and to have a Russian family. Um, so it was really common where I was, but there are parts of Ukraine where it is frowned upon uh, to speak, uh, actually, even speak Russian, um, which would be um in places like Lviv and um yeah
0: okay but uh, yeah you were you were in the uh Luhansk I believe it was
2: I my mom and sister and grandma all were all born in Lugansk. um yeah and I was born in Kharkiv uh, but I have visited Lugansk. yeah
0: okay yeah so you you while you were in Kharkiv uh, it's uh you, you you had a pretty good life, I, I suppose, uh, maybe a little bit, uh, you know, was it uh, anything extraordinary or maybe you're hearing people speaking both Russian and Ukrainian?
2: Um, I definitely heard both languages, yes, um, but um, it was very good. I had a very good childhood uh, considering everything my mom had provided for us and all the experiences we had. Um, I, I do, I always had like the wish to go back to Ukraine because it was so beautiful and there's so many places that aren't, aren't like here and, um, but now obviously it's not a possibility, but it is a very good place to grow up. It has, it was, uh, better, not better, (laughs) I'm just going to say warmer. Um, in the winters, they were actually very pleasant because people looked forward to that, sledding um winter was kind of like a luxury and it did it was still it didn't last like most of the year here but it was um the whole year was kind of it was just great i don't know i don't know if that was, was just a child but it definitely was um a little more maybe it's because i was more used to maybe because it was my own country, but it was definitely a really good experience. Um, and when I came here, it was definitely harder, but maybe it was because language changed and so on. But uh, I would say um, I had a really good childhood there and I'm really thankful that I got to do that, yeah.
0: Now you ended up moving from Kharkiv to Kiev, correct? <laughs>
2: Yes, when we, when we, yes, uh, when we were immigrating to Canada, we moved to Kiev to stay with our family for two years, and yeah, it was a pretty good experience. Um, besides, um, in school, which I'm sure we'll get to.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well, well, tell us about uh, your your experiences as a as a youngster uh, in in uh, Kiev that uh, that you went through.
2: Uh, so in school, um, because of Kiev being maybe the capital city of Ukraine, however, in school, even though I had an auntie who was the vice principal, we were um, hit with rulers, uh, wooden rulers onto our like fingers when we were caught uh, speaking Russian to our classmates. Even though most of us speak Russian at home, we were really strictly told not to. And obviously I most of my life didn't live in Kiev, so I was very rebellious to this, I guess, wow. um, until, until my mom and auntie found out and they uh, made it stop immediately. However, um, I'm sure it was still done to other kids, probably.
0: Wow. So, yeah, this was, uh, I guess, around, what, 2006, 2007?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Okay. And in in I, I guess this this is a couple of years after the, uh, the the Orange Revolution. I know you were really young at the time, but I mean I mean do you remember anything uh, about that? I mean was it uh, cause it, it was a, a big um, event in terms of trying to reverse uh, the, the or basically claims of, of the, the election the runoff election being rigged um, and yushenko you know coming back to power was there anything along those lines that may have gotten you uh made you think about emigrating to canada
2: i think my mom had the plan even before that happening but when that happened it made me realize how it made more sense to leave because obviously i loved my home country and the only reason i had kind of like oh canada's pretty cool as a child like i never been there uh, but it made more sense um, in the politics. We watched a lot of news and uh, seeing all the campaigns on every single corner of the street. Um, it was more of our understanding as a child, like yeah, things are are really not good. Like mm-hmm. everyone's kind of like standing up for this, and so yeah, it was more eye-opening because at first I was always like, why are we, why are we leaving, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, okay, so. When you know when, when you got hit on the hands with uh with your ruler with a ruler, uh, it only happened the one time, right?
2: No, it happened for a few months actually. And my mom said I yeah I didn't open up to her until the very end, until we were actually leaving the school. Uh, but I didn't know it was even not normal because it it was so it was just done everywhere, like in the school. Mm-hmm. So I assumed it was one of the rules, but then when I mentioned it, like a family dinner, uh, everyone kind of gasped, and they were like, "Okay, they're doing this to you?" No, no, no. Or like, I don't know if it was just me because it was still uh, done afterwards to certain people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you ended up leaving in 2008. I mean, was there anything going on uh, at that time that uh, that that may have you know you, you know quickened your pace or uh, or, or what? maybe what what are your last memories as you were leaving uh kiev for town
2: um for politics i didn't as a child i didn't pay attention to like the very last of it right yeah yeah. but um, um my mom had this plan to leave ukraine for maybe it was very long immigration process maybe like five years um however Right before we left my last memory, which is actually funny you mentioned, um, because I cried my eyes out the whole ride. Uh, we took a really, really big taxi, like one of the vans, but like one of the newer models because I think like a really cool uh, like a screen in the right beside me because I was in the front seat. Um, and I just bawled my eyes out the whole ride. But I don't know what was in me, but I knew I would never see, um, I don't know if it was just like a child in me just crying to, to leave, like leaving the country, but something inside me just uh, knew I'd never see this again for some reason. And the beauty of it and everything, I don't know. I just cried my eyes up to the airport, which is actually a very long ride um, from Kiev. It was like 30 to an hour. Um, 30, yeah. Yeah, wow. And yeah, that, that's like my last. Of it. Yeah.
0: What did your mother say uh, about, uh, or maybe, maybe you, you know, you know, having uh, gone through it and come to Canada? I mean, you've probably had conversations with your mom about uh, Ukraine and uh, what was going on at that time. I mean, what what sort of information did she, you know, on a personal level, did she share with you?
2: Um, she like we always talk about what's kind of going on there. Um, uh, but I think. Even as I grew older and talked to not just my mom, but even uh, local people here, I've learned other things uh, along the way. Like when I left Ukraine, I didn't know that Barack Obama went in uh, to Ukraine and made uh, headquarters there uh, for meetings and so on. For some reason. Um, Later on growing up, not just from the influence of my mom, but myself, I realized um, Ukraine. This whole time, it never. The government had never had um, the best with peop- the best interest of its people, um, because with seeing politics, with seeing workers' uh, jobs, with seeing the economy, um, seeing the drug problems in this in the country. Uh, growing up, I seen needles, um, like piles of needles. Um, but now understanding the country you know how most countries they have a strong like uh core that actually cares for its people and so on that wants the best for them uh ukraine was never built to do that um as a country um yeah and i think it was actually made um as a country to serve other purposes altogether yeah
0: yeah they, they said well i know that uh, transparency international uh, ranked uh, ukraine as uh, one of the most uh, corrupt countries in the world right
2: there you go yeah yeah,
0: yeah. okay um so uh, as a, a ukrainian citizen or an ex ukrainian expat uh, what what kind of treatment did you receive from other ukrainians in in winnipeg i mean did you feel welcome or were there any things that you may have felt a little uncomfortable dealing with
2: i always felt welcome um even in school i had ukrainian friends and people with ukrainian backgrounds and with uh, like grandparents um i always they were always the sweetest people um yeah they were always the sweetest people i think I don't know too many, but even in school, I had a few, and those are those were like I can never say one bad thing about them. Okay.
0: Now you continued to communicate with relatives, uh, you know, back in you know, in the period between two thousand eight and, and
2: two thousand fourteen, right? Yeah, with Skype. Um, yeah until just recently uh, where I think my mom and I changed our phone numbers and Skype. I don't know if the my family changed their names or something but uh, we weren't able to reach them right before um, the whole everything going down um, um, with the attacks in the what, beginning.
0: Yeah what kind of information were you getting from your relatives um, during you know that those six years or so
2: Oh, that everything was fine. um, like it always was. like they pretty much saying that, but not um, they were always like everything was fine, but nothing was always like good in the politics and things. but however, they then things were always going up in price and you know the regular things. Um, but. I didn't speak to them personally too much because being a teenager, I always tried to like avoid the Skype calls, even though I would go on and say hi. Um, most of the talking was done with my mom and grandma, um, because it was uh, my grandma's brother's uh, family she was talking to, and then uh, my grandma's other brother's wife that's in Kiev. Um, so, yeah, they they always said things were normal, but. Um, their normal isn't really a good standard, I would say of normal, but they did live really good. So, uh, but they worked way too hard to even sustain that lifestyle. What did,
0: what did you hear about the Maidan uh, in uh, November of 2013? Uh, like what, sort, what, what sorts of uh, attitudes uh, were relayed to you or to your mother, I guess?
2: Uh, you mean the riots that happened in 2014?
0: Uh, yeah, well, they, they, tell, they call it the, the, the peaceful gatherings that, uh, you know, you know from November uh, to February.
2: Yeah. Um, people gathered to uh, protest the government because it's their country too. And then the government pretty much uh, showed, like, their power and saying, like, this isn't happening Um a lot of people suffered and died, and the whole main uh, capital of Ukraine was destroyed. Um, people tried to stand up for, you know, their futures and the country, not the country, like the government. I don't know who would like, what kind of people was standing on the other side, you know, heard like gassing. Uh, and bombing uh, these these pedestrians, like, you know, like the army who had to be doing that. Um, I don't know who would be signing up to do that ever. Um, it was very hard to watch. And if I was in Ukraine, I probably would be there on the main square uh, risking my life too, because um, the history that of politics has never been good. And for like a nine-year-old to know how corrupt the country is from such a young age. I don't think that's like a normal thing <laughs> that people go through. Yeah, um, so it really made sense to me why it was happening. And, um, but I didn't know that the government would actually like take such steps to be like, hey, can you guys not ever do this, like ever? And so like, I mean, like they just showed their authority in. Uh, Killing and uh, damaging many lives.
0: And uh, but after 2014, um, you know, there 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 was the uh, there was a, a lot of violence, and uh, the uh, Yushenko, no, uh, Yano, Yanukovych rather, mm-hmm. uh, ended up fleeing the country. Um, yeah. And, and that's when you lost contact with your relatives in in uh, Ukraine, right?
2: uh is that uh the yanukovych yeah like right before like months two one months one two months before everything went down we were trying to contact our family and we couldn't and then um yeah so i think uh before um i'm just gonna look at the calendar fast
0: been about nine years ago now
2: <laughs> are you talking about when we left ukraine
0: no no i'm talking about uh what was happening at the time of the uh the the maidan and uh, how it changed the uh how, how basically the situation changed with uh, yanukovych yeah. going and then you know getting uh you know that that's when uh, Crimea separated and, and when L- Lugansk and, and, the, uh, the, uh, and, and the, uh, the other region also wanted to, to uh, separate. It was a major event, right?
2: Yeah, uh, Donetsk and Lugansk. Yes. yes. And uh, the, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, That's really important that you mentioned that because that's actually the most important part of what's going on right now. They're trying to go for uh, the Crimea, like the Black Sea right there, that yeah. area. Mm-hmm. America's most mostly going to try and get that area for right now. I think that's what they're actually fighting for, besides the war with Russia. I think Ukraine again, uh Ukraine I is powered by America's military. Um that's why I'm saying this. So I think the the Black Sea and Donetsk and Lugansk, it's actually important to mention that Ukraine was bombing its own ex-cities. <laughs> so Ukraine was bombing Donetsk and Lugansk for about eight years before this whole thing going down this, you know, today. Um, and no one talks about that. And uh, as you know, my mom and grandma were born Lugansk and sister, uh, my only blood sister, um, but um, yeah, no one talks about that part because, because I don't think anyone actually uh, sees the other side of it. Um, so also Crimea and uh, the Black Sea, uh, America is really trying to take the, a border of that uh, to themselves. And they've been trying to do that for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I've been to the Black Sea, so thank God, Um, but when I was in Ukraine with my church, but um, it is very beautiful and I uh, I think, I don't know, I don't have much to say about it just because um, I've seen uh, how Russia, and even in 2014, Russia had these, Aircrafts and America had ships going to Crimea and Russia sent aircrafts going to uh, their ships to go going to their ships, but the their airplanes were able to aircraft or airplane. Uh there was able to go so low to like really close to their ship that it was like um it was actually very surprising technology, I guess. But seeing that I was just um I understood kinda what was uh, at, in cards for the next few.
0: Okay. Um, so what would you say, I mean, you know, the United States is, you positioning itself as coming to the rescue of Ukraine and then Russia's the, the bad guys. Um, I mean, is this, uh, you know, from what you gather, I mean, is this the opinion of uh, uh, the, the majority of, of people in, in your uh, in, in your region, or is it uh, – I mean, maybe they have a different attitude towards the United States. Maybe they see both the United States and Russia as uh, being offside. I mean, well, what's your understanding that, there?
2: Uh, so I have family in Ukraine who, who don't like Putin, and they're in Kiev, and um, there's that. However, I personally know that Russia has made tunnels, the Ukrainian people to escape during all this going down and the Ukrainian army uh, surrounded those tunnels and shot anyone who came near them. Uh, Saying that I don't think Ukrainian army ever, well, they also kill any civilian they see on the street um, most of the time. Um, I don't think the Ukrainian army has Ukrainian people's interest in mind. And I think America is using Ukraine as a chess piece to just start war with Russia and take what they've always wanted in the beginning. Yeah. And uh, yeah.
0: J- just, just so you know, I mean, uh, like, could you say exactly where you get your information? I mean, you, you're saying you're, going, you're not relying on Ukrainian uh, mainstream resources and, and probably not uh, the Canadian mainstream either right because uh, um, a lot of them say that the, the russian media are uh, for example is pumping out misinformation and disinformation right so so how, according to the higher ups in the western press um
2: uh, because i see like american media i see russian media i see ukrainian media i listen to some of each okay. and then i take what's real and then i also like have a lot of things i learned along the way that I choose what's right and what's wrong and like what's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had a lot of research done in the past, but obviously I, I've listened to a lot of different uh, media sources. And um, I basically, I can tell what's real because of um, if two sources say same thing or two sources, dop- like I don't look for who's right or wrong. I see what the steps are doing. Um, that's how I judge. Um America since beginning of time. I didn't really know until I grew up later, but they have been portraying Russia and they've been trying to they've really had a war with with Russia since beginning of time, um with their with their own conflicts. Not like a literal literal war. Um yeah. but um seeing a lot of American media I was surprised to go across, like I mentioned earlier, um, when we were talking uh, about the Carl Turner or um, Tucker Carlson. what was his name? Yeah, Tucker Carlson. So was, uh, I was surprised that Fox News had someone actually like speak freely about that things that are true. And for American media, for that to do is actually like, I am in shock. Um because most of the time I hear and listen and, and it's complete uh, rubbish. So yeah yeah, yeah and well. um, a lot of the time they portray Putin as the bad guy. However, um I I do see steps he has taken to help Ukrainian people um and I don't think he ever wanted to um, have this war because, yeah, I don't think he ever had this war in his uh, plans.
0: What would you say is that maybe the biggest, uh, you know, looking at the, the war uh, happening uh, like now for almost a year, what would you say is maybe the biggest lie, you know, based on your no- knowledge and, and your uh, informing yourself? What would you say is the, maybe the biggest lie in terms of this conflict?
2: Um, Well, just, I guess, the best perspective I can say is when America was going into other countries and trying to make war, take resources from another country, they always portrayed the other country as the bad guy, Um, like Iran um, and other places. So now, when America has army in the Ukraine, has politics in the Ukraine, has millions of dollars that ukraine pretty much owes them which is now a company or now a country powered by america um now it's blessed it's helped ukraine it's um it's obviously helped their people help them escape this war but america now has a power hold over this country so that's why most of the media is also talking about helping ukraine but when America was doing this to other countries it was definitely not played out this way. So I think this is really dangerous also because Russia is um, a really big country and um, obviously we all know if Russia has to protect um, certain areas like uh, Crimea they will use nuclear powers most likely because they will will probably just have no other choice um because america is the number one military of the world they've put most of their if not all their, yeah no most of their you know taxes into their military um and then there's also other countries that are helping america now um help ukraine however this help i don't think it's um it's going to the people it's going to the army mostly and if anything people need to be evacuated and taken somewhere safe like Canada also to mention Canada was not letting Ukrainians (laughs) in beginning of all this like you Canada refused Ukrainians in as if we were you know back in uh Jewish days when they refused Jewish people into countries however you uh, Canada had immigrated Ukrainians into this country since 1914 as and had put them in, in the first internment camps that were actually ever created in the world. Um, and that's something that's not talked about that actually maybe we should mention. There's a documentary, the United Nations posted called That Never Happened, where Canada had lied and immigrated many Slavic people, not just Ukrainian, because Ukraine wasn't even a country back then, uh, but German, Russian, every kind of Slavic person. And they immigrated them, had them work, uh, for the country, gave them a piece of paper that they said if they lost, they would be jailed or imprisoned and certain minorities were treated better than others. However, I think um, 70,000 people, if not, I'm maybe even getting the number wrong, but it's called That Never Happened, documentary posted by the United Nations. But I think uh, 70,000 people were uh, Killed and uh, put in these internment camps. And that happened before residential schools. Um, sorry, but that was very important to mention.
0: <laughs> I, I thank you once again, Ola, for uh, joining us on the Global Research News Hour.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: That was our conversation with Olaf from Ukraine, who immigrated with her sister and mother to Manitoba nearly 15 years ago, sharing with us a unique portrait of her country of birth listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Centre for Research on Globalisation and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Creek Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. The show is aired on other radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca.